Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats. Um, If you've been following us along either on our Facebook or here in the podcast, you may have an inkling that Austin is not my hometown. I know it's a surprise. I've got that thick Austin accent going on. (laughs) I am actually native to New York. One of my biggest regrets um, moving out of New York is I didn't realize just how many interesting and historic paranormal places there were. There's Kings Park, which was right by where I lived before we moved here. There's a few places actually in New York City where I grew up. And there's the Hinsdale House up near the Great Lakes. It's pretty much as far west in New York as you can get. And I've been looking around at that place and the history is fascinating. The place is incredible. I mean, it looks like your typical upstate New York farmhouse, but there's so much more to it. And we are very fortunate today to have the owner of Hinsdale House, who is a noted paranormal investigator in his own right, Daniel Kleiss with us today. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be on. I am very excited to hear everything. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. How long is this show? Um, However long you want it to be. (laughs) We shoot for for 30 to 45 minutes, but if we need longer to get your life history, I'm okay with that. I was going to say, as long as it doesn't go into the Super Bowl, you know? Yeah, we have a few hours. (laughs) Yes. We're very mindful that today is Super Bowl Sunday that we're recording this. (laughs) Uh, so you are a noted paranormal investigator, the house aside, before you even got involved with this house. How'd that come about? Well, I mean, just, you know, just like any paranormal investigator, you know, I don't just sit around, you know, and do nothing. So, I mean, this was a, a chance for me to go and explore a location that I had never been at before with my with my paranormal team, the Greater Western New York Paranormal Society. Um, so... I generally took care of putting the caseload together and briefing our team and all that type of stuff of, of what to expect. But this particular time, our my co-founder, Cameron, he booked this one, and uh, he didn't want us to know anything about the location before we came there. Just the address and told us to show up and he'd brief us when we got there. Cool. Um, so this was more of a more of a just a, a urban exploration type thing. We did have permission to be there, and it was the middle of the winter and. Um, I just, I remember going up this hill and I felt like, my God, I go, there's, there's not even a road here. This is all this is dirt. This is a dirt road and we're going into the middle of nowhere. I didn't have any phone service. And uh, I finally found it, found the location. And I was like, my God, this is this little house on the top of this hill in the middle of nowhere. Didn't didn't know anything, but I definitely like a creep factor because it kind of, kind of like the start of a horror movie, you know, like, okay, I don't have any connection with the outside world. Here I am going to this little house that was pretty decrepit, you know, I mean, it was in very bad shape and uh, didn't have, they only had electricity in one room at the time. I sat down at the couch and and he put on the show uh, A Haunting, you know, it was featured on the the show A Haunting and the episode was called The Dark Forest and uh, I, I watched that. That was the top of the briefing for us. And uh, and then I remember looking at him and giving some vulgarities and saying, this is not that house. <laughs> you know, this, is, uh, this isn't the house that, uh, that you're referencing on the show. We're not sitting in this house right now. Like, so that's, you know, it's had a failed exorcism. You know, there was a failed mm-hmm. structural exorcism at the location in the 1970s. And that's kind of something that you would want to mentally prepare for. 
when you're going to a location, you know, it's not something just to spring on somebody. Uh, at least that's the way I feel. Uh, but I mean, we did, you know, we, we kind of collected our thoughts, grounded ourselves and, and had a very productive investigation that night. I mean, it was unlike any other location I had ever been to. I didn't know that the house was calling me, you know, like, but every single piece of equipment that we used produced some type of evidence that just made my mind spin because, you know, I'll go to a location sometimes and sit for three hours and hope I get an EVP or a spike on a K2 meter. And here I am at this, at this location. And it's like the energies there were just really wanting to have a voice, like really wanting to speak. And I don't know, I just, I became very drawn to the location um, that, that was going to be torn down. Oh no. Um, it was not inhabitable. You know, there was, there was black mold throughout the whole kitchen and there are 500,000 honeybees living in the wall needed a roof. I mean, it need, needed a lot of work. The pictures that you see today are love and labor of paranormal teams coming to the location, doing tons of tours and reinvesting all that money back into the location to, uh, fix it up so we can utilize it for paranormal research for future generations. That's awesome. And, uh, that's, you know, that's, I don't know, you know, it just, it just took off, you know, it, it definitely got a, it, all the makings of a, of a, of a bad movie, you know, bad horror <laughs> movie. If you think about all the stuff that's happened on the property and the location and, and as you keep that, it's like a big giant puzzle, you know, it's, it's still a puzzle, even though I've been able to figure out a lot of things, you know, every time you figure out one thing and then two more things pop up, you know, and it's, uh, it just keeps, keeps expanding. So it's very, very interesting location. I'm, I'm glad with the paranormal community supporting it that we've been able to save it and utilize and teams and teams have been coming there from all over the world to investigate now, you know, coming into this little farm town and getting amazing evidence. And how long ago was that that you got it up and running? Um, now it's been almost almost seven years. Going on seven years I've had the location. Great. Now, bef- I have a question to ask you about the history, but before I get into that, at what point sitting there in a house with pretty much no electricity that's falling down around you, that's in the middle of nowhere, that is a classic setting for every horror movie ever written. Do you say, hey, I'm going to buy this? You know, it, just just because of the, I had a personal experience there that I felt like it really touched me. So this, we were weeks away from the location being torn down and we were basically up there saying goodbye to this location. You know, it was going to be torn down there to pour all the duct work and electrical out of the location. And, you know, even to use the toilet, we would have to go fetch a pail of water down at the pond and come up and, and use, the, use the toilet that way because it wouldn't even flush anymore. All I had known up to that point was this family that lived there in the 1970s that was tormented by poltergeist activity and other things on the outside of the house and then had a failed structural exorcism, you know, and, and now I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, there has to be other people that tried to live here since the 1970s. And I said, there has to be other people that have been affected by this energy here. I came across doing research, the family, the Miznik family, and they were an older couple. They were the last people to live there in the 1980s. And they lived there for quite some time, you know, and they knew of the spirits that were there. They felt like they had a connection with the, with the energy there and they might minded their own business. And it didn't seem to affect them as much as it affected the younger, mm-hmm. um, younger people. And, 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 it, you know, and this is also what 30 years later, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it could have dissipated as well or gone, gone on its way. So I don't, I, you know, I don't know that for sure either, but when I was in the kitchen, you know, no electricity in the, in the house and 
we were filming it. You know, it was the, the lady that ran the house at the time. Her name was Michelle and Cameron was in the kitchen, my co-founder of the Greater Western Paranormal Society. And they were talking about the exorcism, this, that, and the other thing, and nothing was happening. And then I just said, Flo, are you here? And this was the name of the older lady, Florence Midnight. And I just got like a jolting sensation up my arm. And I had a K2 meter in my hand, and it went up all the way to 500 milligauss. And I said, oh, my God, you know, I've never, I've never felt anything like that before. And I'm not one to claim to get touched or scratched or anything like that. And I felt this. Yeah, I could feel the static on my arm. Wow. And then the K2 meter going up, you know, and it was just like, oh, my God, you know. And I, I continued to have a conversation. You know, my co-founder, he's like, who's Florence, you know. And I'm like, and, and Michelle explained it to him. And so I continued to ha- ask questions, and I continued to get positive responses on the K2 meter. And then... I said, will you hold my hand low as we go up the stairs? And this K2 meter stayed lit in my hand all the way up the stairs into the master bedroom. And I felt, oh my God, I, just like I've never, never had anything like that happen to me before. So, so I had this connection with flow. Then the next day, you know, just like any other, you know, team boasting about where they investigated the last night, I went and put on my Facebook page a picture of the house. And I said, well, this is where I investigated last night. And then I got a private message from, from a lady. Her name was Jackie Chandra. And she goes, that's my grandparents' old house. I, and I'm thinking, shut the front door. There's no way possible. And she goes, I go, well, who are your grandparents? And she said, Joan and Flo Misnick. Oh, wow. I'm like, you got, so just like the synchronicities of all of that. And then, then she became, you know, such a good friend of mine. And she's become part of the location as far as like helping. And um, she's into, into the paranormal. And she actually feels a very strong connection with her grandparents at that location. So I knew that there was a lot more and I knew in my mind, I'm like, okay. And Michelle's like, Dan, this is, you need to do this. You need to try to get this house. The tough, the toughest part was trying to explain to my wife, <laughs> you know, honey, you know, cause we had, we had just bought it. We had just bought a new home for our family. And now trying to talk her into saying, let's let me use the rest of our savings so I can put a deposit down on this house. That's got black mold, Five hundred thousand honeybees needs a new roof. Yeah, four foot grass. All you know, it needs, needs a lot of work. She kind of she believed in my vision. It just it seemed like everything just fell into place. I didn't think I was going to be able to buy it. I honestly didn't. I didn't know if I because I didn't even have enough of the deposit. And everything just fell into place. You know, like the way it felt like it was supposed to happen. So it's kind of what pushed me even more into doing it, like taking that chance to try to save it. I mean, cause I, I mean, I had a lot of things going on in the back of my head. I had a lot of things like, uh, if this, is this roof going to last through another winter? Um, how am I going to get rid of this black mold? Cause I know it's expensive. It's super mm-hmm. expensive oh, you yeah. know, like to take care of a black mold problem and 500,000 honeybees. I'm like, God, you know, like I, I don't want to kill the bees. How, how do I go? You know, so there's so much going on in my head of how this is going to happen. And I'll tell you what, the paranormal community really rallied behind me that summer. Cause I, I just put up day of caring Hinsdale house and so many people that I have crossed paths with in my life, like whether it be at a public tour, or just meeting somebody at an event, a lot of local people that were interested in the history of the house, they all showed up. We had like 69 people or something like that show oh, wow. up that day. Like a Habitat for Humanity event. Yeah, it, seriously, it was. And I was just like flabbergasted and I had donations, paint, you know, everybody brought stuff. And uh, we ended up getting the roof done for like like $4,000. Wow. Like we got stuff donated and then um, the monies that we used for the event. Oh, yeah, that's less than half. Oh, yeah. I mean, the roof was, uh, we had quotes, $12,000, $13,000. Yeah. Because it's a complete tear off, you know, and. 
it had like uh, cedar shingles underneath it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we got it done. We had roofers come up and volunteer their time, donations of roofing materials. And then we had to buy, you know, buy stuff too. But the cost, we were able to get it done through the money that we raised from tours and stuff like that. So just, you know, it just goes to show, you know, people always talk about para-unity and what is para-unity. And that's, uh, that's what stood out to me at that point in my life. Yeah, there's a perfect example. Yeah, how much the paranormal community can come together to do something good. It's good for everybody. It's not just good for me, but it's it's good for everybody to be able to use the location and research the location and help out. So, that, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of why I bought it, you know. And and every like just it's it's just like just like the gods came down and plopped sixty nine people on the property or something, you know. Like when you do things for the right reasons, I feel like it's karma and karma comes back sometimes when you, when you do things for a positive reason and uh, we've been able to save it. It seems like the house knew what it was doing when it picked you, right? Yeah. It definitely picked you and it's, it it was like waiting for you almost. Yeah. And it's funny because Clara in the 1970s Mm -hmm. says the house picked them, the house. And, And a lot of people talk about the house, like it's its own entity, like it's its own being. Like you said, the house picked me, you know, how can a house pick me? You know, like, and, and a lot of people have been exploring those theories, like Greg and Dana Newkirk. They went up there with Haunt Me and, and did a show that's up on YouTube. Yeah, and, and they really thought outside the box. I love the episodes of Haunt Me that they did at the house. Um, just where they, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, you should go check it out. I don't think I've seen seen that yet, but I've seen their um, Amazon Prime show. They are very creative, inventive, and they really do think outside the box. Yeah, they do. Now, you mentioned a couple of times about the failed exorcism. Yeah. Do you know a little bit about that history of what happened, what brought that up? Uh, and I've got a reason for asking, so bear with me on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking with Clara, you know, Dandy, who lived there in the 1970s. She wrote a couple of books about, you know, kind of like her journal entries and, and what happened to her family. but. Um, they were being tormented, really, you know, like things were happening that they couldn't explain, uh, items falling off shelves. They were seeing uh, shadow figures. They were seeing uh, creatures on the outside of the house that they couldn't explain what they were, uh, a woman in white dancing out by the pond. So they were having all these things going on. Uh, and all all the meantime, you know, this is pre, pre-exorcist. So mm-hmm. this is before anything like that came out, very taboo. She started writing letters to people that may be able to help her. And she got in contact with a priest at St. Bonaventure university. You know, he didn't just just step right in and say, Oh, we're going to do an exorcism of the location. He, uh, tried helping them as a priest would, you know, but he was very into the occult. He he knew what he was. He did so much research on it and knew what he was talking about. And he came and performed a mass first in, in the location in the kitchen with the family there. And then as things kind of ramped up again, um, to this, with the family, especially their their daughter Laura, who was affected the most, they got the okay to do a structural exorcism in, in, in the house, and they brought in a psychic. His name was Alex Tanis. They had a film crew from New York City that was filming th- filming that while it happened. While they all knelt in the kitchen or the uh, living room and had the structural exorcism performed, and you know it, they said the whole house shook as he was doing it, and then it was cleared within twenty to thirty seconds. But then it just ramps back up again. You know, it ramps back up after a while. And his advice was, you know, there's nothing more I, I know how to do here. And uh, told him to leave. That's the only best advice that he could give them. And that's what they did. I mean, they got up and hightailed it out to California. Wow. Well, I don't know. I think I probably would, too. 
given what they went through. I'm just curious because they came in and they had the exorcism done and things seemed to be quiet for a little while and then kind of came back with a vengeance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then they left and at some point Flo and her husband moved in, but it didn't seem like they had the same negative experiences. And it doesn't seem like, and I know, I know you have some pretty intense things that go on there, but it doesn't seem from what I've seen and correct me, please, if I'm wrong, that the house is out to get anybody now. So I'm I'm just wondering if maybe the exorcism I mean there's theories. Okay. I'm I'm open to those. But I'm I mean I don't I don't I don't feel I know that there's like a negative heavy hitting energy there that can be, you know, come across as very, you know, very negative. But there are families that I've interviewed that lived there between the nineteen seventies and the nineteen eighties that that did experience things that they were scared of. Uh, like one family moved in and within a month left, they left wow. all of their personal possessions there. Oh. So they didn't want what was ever there to know that they were leaving. And there are stories about animals that committed suicide, you know, that, that ran in front of a truck that would not like a lab, you know, how loyal type labs are. They're not going to just go run in front of a truck, people falling, they're driving their cars down that road and just ending up in a ditch. So I mean, there's um, there's there's other people that have been affected there, um, and I've actually started interviewing people that lived there before that, that family that had things that affected them. Um, but the way that I kind of chalk it up is is that definitely there's pro- there there definitely is some type of negative energy there, but it's not something that comes out all the time. It's very suppressive, and you can feel it when it starts to happen. And my advice to people that are investigating there when that happens is to get up move away and ignore it and, and let, you know, just don't give it the time of day. You don't want to give it that energy. Oh, definitely. And I, and I don't think it's demonic. I've, I've been involved in the demonic case, a couple of them actually in my career. And it, this is nothing like a demonic that, that I've been involved with. I mean, it very well could be. And, and the, there are people are saying, you know, that it'll suppress you and then, and then take a shot. At, it's, it's after certain people or it's, it's allowing me, to, to fix the place up and give it new life because I'm bringing it what it wants, energy. I'm bringing it what it needs. And that was like during the investigation that Greg and Dana did, they got an EVP when they said, I want to speak to the house. And they said, what do you want from people? And it said energy. And I'm like, holy crap. I mean, like I never, I never thought about it. Like maybe it's not affecting me because it's using me as a, um, a bearer, you know, to get people to come there, you know? So, but you know, and, and all the all the years I've been keeping journals, I've been having teams come there. And when a team comes there, they write their team name down, the date that they were there. And I want them to write down things that that they that happened to them, you know. And I, I honestly, you know, there's been a couple of times in all the years that I've owned it where some, somebody can say that they were negatively affected by the energy there. Um, and Nick Groff included, you know, like uh, when he was there. But um, he opened himself up to that. You know, and people have to stay grounded, just like any investigation that you go to. You have to be able to keep an open mind and stay grounded when you're doing things in order to circumvent something like that happening. I'm wondering if it's a little quieter because you have folks that come in during the day for tours and you have folks that come in at night for overnights, but they don't stay, right? They come for a day or two and then usually they move on to whatever's next. But you don't have anybody actually living there. Right. And I wonder if that makes a difference. It, it may make a difference and in, 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 in time that we've been there as well, we've been bringing in, you know, I, I feel like a lot of what's happening has to do with the land and the property. Um, and we've been bringing in different 
uh, lay people, you know, so we're bringing in Wiccans, we're bringing in Buddhists, we're bringing in uh, shamans, we're bringing in all, I feel like there are so many different elements and so many different layers at that location that it doesn't take just a Catholic priest to clear it. Mm, I think it yeah. takes a lot more. And we've been bringing in a lot of positiveness to the location. Um, all the windows were boarded up. Um, what was left of the windows when I bought it, and we've been able to open up the windows, get new windows installed, bring light into the location, bring plants. You know, there's we have a flower. We have a lady that her name's Kay, and she does uh, gardens for ghosts, and she comes and she puts a garden in, and That's just really awesome. brightens up the location. And I and I feel like that brings positive energy to the location, and that helps with the the communication as well with the the energies that are there that are positive and want to have their voices heard. There's a lot. Has anybody done any historic investigations into what was on that property before the house? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's what I've been working on. We've been date. We have it dated back to seventeen, late seventeen hundreds. Wow. You know, with the Indian tribes that were there, and you know, we have found Indian relics uh, when we dug up in the back property to uh, put a new septic system in for the location, so we could actually have a shower and a toilet that worked. We found like arrowheads, oh, cool. you know, in, in the ground. And I have a couple of them on display inside the house that, that we have located. They're really cool. So, I mean, that really tells the story. Has anyone sensed anything, any energy attached to the arrowheads? Not attached to the arrowheads themselves, but people have gotten pictures of an Indian. It looks like an Indian chief and a full headdress in the driveway. It looks like an Indian girl out by the pond. Um, and in stories dating back to as late as the 1970s, you're talking about hearing like Jesuit chanting coming from the forest or flute wow. or drumming. So all those kind of elements really, and I've heard the drumming and the flute myself. It sounds like a, like an Indian flute being played. Um, you know, I've, I've experienced that stuff for myself. There are, um, burial Indian burial mounds on the neighboring property, but that was original property to this location it was originally 100 acres now it's owned by my na- neighbor up the hill so do they have any experiences that go on in their house or is it concentrated on yours no i've had i've had neighbors say that uh, they've had things happen on the property as well like i have a, a neighbor that actually helps with letting people in the in the location that lives right down the road she's about 20 minutes down the road and uh she tells she's telling me stories about stuff that she hears on the outside of the house and her house so she's hearing stuff uh, outside there that kind of freaks people out a little bit. We've captured pictures of a creature that we don't even know what it is. You know, like the, the only explanation I've got to date is that I it's don't... a puckwudgie from a shaman. Uh, puckwudgie. I was like, <laughs> that's what, what? I'm saying. What, what's a puckwudgie? You know? <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a, it's a, it's a type of it's a type of cryptid that is uh, uh, protects Indian burial grounds, which makes sense to me. But the, the, I'll tell you what, the picture you look at it, it looks kind of like a a monkey cow type thing that's up in 10 foot up in a tree, you know, and it's looking down on you. And this was a, a researcher out of Columbus, Ohio that captured the picture. His name is Jeff Fent. And, uh, he was using, using different light spectrums, trying to capture something in the forest. Cause he was really drawn to the forest. And a lot of people are, you know, you go up there and you just feel like you're being watched and you can hear what, what sounds like footsteps, you know, and I, you can chalk that up to maybe a pine cone falling or maybe something happening but when you capture a picture like that, it really kind of adds to the creep factor of what could be up there, keep you know watching you. So, yeah, John's bringing up pictures of this thing. Wow. Oh yeah. 
Now the pictures that pull up with this big hairy beast with bow and arrow, you know, it doesn't doesn't look like what I've captured. You know, it looks more like a like a yeah monkey. You know, it's a little a little monkey type thing. Yeah, but I, yeah like I'm this. looking at one that looks like know. your description. And this was up in the trees. Yeah, mm-hmm. ten foot up in the in the tree. I don't startle or scare easily, but that might make me turn around and walk the other way. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you right now. You saw that jump out at you. It wouldn't have to jump out at me. It would just have to be staring yeah, at me. Yeah, it could just be I'm, there. <laughs> I'm going to put my hands in my pocket and start whistling in the other direction mm-hmm. for that one. <laughs> wow. So you have a lot of teams that come and they, they fill out the journal and everything. What is the creepiest story? Creepiest experience? Creepiest? Yeah. You know, there, there's, I guess it depends on your level of, of what you do. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know, like when I when I first started investigating and I experienced something for the first time, I was creeped the hell out and I ran out the building, you know, I was scared, but now it's different, you know? So I guess it depends on, I mean, cause we've had poltergeists, we've had shadow figures that I've seen with my own eyes that, you know, are going back and forth. We've, like I said, we've captured these uh, energies on the outside of the house. Um, so any at any given time, you could experience any of that. And then sometimes it's really cool because you experience something new or you're uncovering something and getting getting answers that make sense finally to to the history. So for me, it's it's not even... I mean, there's been teams that have been freaked out there. I mean, I know Bill Reed felt like he had something attached to him when he was there. Yeah. He told me, he goes, I let my guard down. He goes, and I, I don't normally do that. And for some reason, this house just made me feel comfortable to the point where I let my guard down. And that's happened a few times to a few people, you know, including, like I said earlier, Nick Groff, when he went to go film Paranormal Walk down there, he let his, he, didn't, he knew what he was doing, you know, like he let his guard down because he needed to get the answers that he needed. Um, but he also had something follow him home. And it, it was, it was weird because it felt like there was an energy lifted. Like I felt like not so heavy at the location after he filmed there. Yeah. And then, and then he, all of a sudden I was doing a tour there. And I started, I was, I was running my geo box in the house and all of a sudden I started getting in this deep voice, where's Nick, where, you know, like I kept saying it and I recorded it on my phone and I sent him a text message with it and he said, oh my God, I got to talk to you. So I, when I left there, I, I called him and I, and he's like, uh, you know, you can't really let anybody know about any of this stuff, but I'm, I'm going to let you know because your, your location I had something follow me home and I just, uh, that day that, that, that started happening is when he had his house cleansed and him cleansed, you know, himself cleansed in New Hampshire. And, uh, I was like, you had to be kidding me. So you cleansed your house and all of a sudden this thing came back, you know, it was like, it was, it was kind of crazy to me, you know, that, and it always has his name very, he, it's very attached to him as well. As far as like, uh, they know who he is. They ask for him all the time. Did it do anything negative to him while, while he had this attachment? No, just, just kind of mentally, you know, like it got into his mind, but, but what it's done is it's made Nick want to find out more, well, sure. you know, it's made him want to find out, you know, what, let's get these answers. And he's, he's been a big integral part of, of some of the research that we've done there. And he's been helping for, for years, as far as the research goes, he's, he's brought in things as a paranormal investigator that you would salivate over being able to you know, bring in a GPR or ground penetrating radar or a forensic diver to dive your pond to try to find a, something that may 
give you an answer to a story or something. I mean, we've been able to do a lot of that stuff because of him and uh, get, get amazing answers. Uh, we've got some, some really big things that we're going to be able to talk about soon. Um, but, you know, we've, you know, as any, you know, he's, he's, he does TV stuff. So what he's captured and what he's done, you know, he wants to release to the big picture. He wants everybody to know about it. Uh, and it's going to come out in, in, uh, on TV. So and then I can't, re- we can't really talk about it too much and it sucks because you want to, you know? Yeah. Hopefully after he releases his evidence and what he's found and talk about it a little more, but I do want to throw out there that oh yeah, Nick does not get as much accolades maybe as he should. Kind of hides out in the background a little bit, but he's been a pioneer. He is also somebody who thinks outside the box, and he just seems like he's just genuinely a nice guy. He, he doesn't get as much spotlight, I think, as he should. Yeah, well, it's more for him for about respect, you know, than, you know, he's in the spotlight. You know, he, mm-hmm. he did start Ghost Adventures, you know, he, but I mean... You know, it's more for him about re- get earning respect and giving respect, and, and that's what really stood out about him to me when I met him, which made me comfortable working with him. So, yeah, he, he's a good guy. I want to ask you. You mentioned the the geo box, and you did a Facebook Live about a week or two ago where you were using it, and it was mm-hmm. honestly the first time I've ever actually seen one in action. Oh, and you were getting very direct responses, and in it was just amazing. I'll be honest. It was just absolutely amazing. Can you tell our listeners what that is, how it works? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a generally similar to the a regular spirit box that you may use, um, except George Brown, who invented this, um, uses a vibrational field on the inside of it. So, um, and he's, he's tried different ways and different versions of the, of the box that he's, that he's invented. Um, but it's got a, um, this particular one that I think I used when I was doing the live as a coil, it's got a vibrational coil on the inside. And what's happening is this is spinning. What happens is, is it allows the voices that are coming through on the spirit box to come through more clear. Mm-hmm. So you're not just hearing all that. He also uses these, um, noise condensers that help to condense the, the static noise that's coming through from the white noise. Yeah. So it's cleaning that all up somehow and uh, allowing just the voices that are coming through to be heard and then rung out even better with that echoing. Now, he uses, I have a couple different versions of it. He also uses a digital reverb now in one of them that I have, and that works amazing as well. And he's also experimenting right now with laser. Um, it's called the Trio Port, which he, I think he's only made two of them so far. And, but it just, uh, the, it it's the whole aspect of the box is to, to draw the energy in and they give the energy that it needs in order for the the spirit to speak. And, uh, it just, I, I've had such amazing results with that, with that particular box. And I collect them. I mean, I collect, uh, if you make a box, I want to try it, you know, and I have tons of different boxes, different makers. And, and it's just interesting. You get different things from different, uh, box, uh, build and stuff like that, you know? So I have an original Frank Frank's box as well, which, which is amazing. You know, it's, it's like a piece of history. Yeah. I've heard of them and I've seen pictures of them, but I'd never actually seen one live in action. Ah. And I really appreciate that you used it live so that everybody could experience it. And I'm not going to say it was crystal clear, but dang, that was clear. <laughs> Some of the, now that, that particular night that I was live, 
um, I felt like I was connecting with a, a psychic medium. And it's such, such a weird scenario because part of my life I spent with this psychic medium. Her name was Bernice Golden. Mm-hmm. She was older in age. Uh, she, she was amazing. She, was just in, she had a 50, what, 54-year career uh, being a psychic medium locally, and she had a syndicated radio show. And I remember listening to it when I was a kid uh, when, in Buffalo. I would turn it on and listen to her give people their readings and stuff over the phone. And I always thought, wow, how amazing she was. Um, I, uh, one of the other things I do, uh, which, you know, I don't really, I, I run these, uh, psychic fairs and, uh, and you bring it, and it, what I try to do is I try to mix in the paranormal and with the psychic fair and it, they mend well and mix together. And, and I had her in as the, like the keynote, you know, where she did this big gallery reading the one time and I got to meet her and we just started talking and she would tell me things. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, all of a sudden she's telling me that I'm going to do this or this is going to happen. And everything that she started telling me started happening. I was like, wow. You know, and it got to a point where the guy that was her manager stopped. She basically was that he was done with her because she was wheelchair bound. And, and I don't know what the reasonings are. I wasn't involved with, uh, why he left helping her, but you know, I just felt like she's, man, let's re- she could still be reinvented. She might be chair-bound, but she still wants to work. She still wants mm-hmm. to help people. And I started doing like a podcast with her. And she started getting, you know, she started getting busy again. You know, she started, you know, oh, I remember Bernice. You know, people re- started remembering who she was. And she started getting phone calls from all over the world. And, you know, she ended her life on, it's kind of for her, She when she when she did pass away, she uh, said she would always be with me. And uh, it was like the Super Bowl for her because she went out on top. You know, she went out with, um, readings in her book, you know, like she had bookings for readings and, uh, she passed away and it was her time. And, and she always said she wanted to come to the Hinsdale house. She promoted the Hinsdale house. She sold my books on her shows and the guests that came to do readings with her. And, and I felt like, you know, one of the times she might come through, you know, like she can tell me she's there with me. And cause it seems like every time I go to an event and there's a psychic there, that's any, any good. She's like, there's this older lady trying to tell me to tell you something. I'm like, oh my God, it's Bernice again. It's like, it just keeps happening. You know, like she's, I'm like, Bernice, I know you're there. You know, I know that you're there, you know? And, and then she came through and she, I could hear her voice coming through on the box at the Hinsdale house. And I was just like, I was shaking a little bit Mm -hmm. because of her voice. Oh, sure. And it was just, um. I could hear your emotion. Yeah. When you were talking about it, when you were responding. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, that bit with everybody um i get a little emotional myself right here <laughs> but uh because i i understand how how it can affect you to hear her voice yeah i mean she was like a mother was she I, not not like more like a grandmotherly figure to me you know like i'd come over to her house on monday nights and her husband would make dinner for me and we'd have her podcast and you know it just became like a ritual every week and she was teaching me things on that side you know where i could hone in with my my energy because she believed that anybody has the ability you just have to learn how to hone into it you know and she just she's she was an amazing woman and uh it it was it just like i said it really threw me for a loop hearing her knowing that she came through that night you know so was that the first time she's come through on that box yes that was the first time that she's come through on the box but she's i I, she's come through in many other ways to, to me you know, like I've heard her in my head, you know, and I don't go around saying this to people, but I mean, I've heard her and I've been like, Bernice, okay, shut up. You know, like, <laughs> I know you're, I know you're, I feel like she's kind of like the force 
to me in a way. And and then like when I'm at the event, if I'm talking to like I was up in Michigan and XD, she's an amazing psychic up there. She's like, uh, she she doesn't really know Bernice. She has there's no reason for her or any way that she would have ever known her. And then she starts explaining her to me and telling me the message that she's got messages for me from her. I'm like, wow. And I'm like, this has happened more than once. I mean, it's probably happened six, seven, eight times being at events where she's coming through, giving me messages, you know, and the, and the psychics feel prone to just tell me. They're, it's not like I'm asking for the messages, you know, or can you give me a reading? They're coming up to me and saying that I have a message for you from this person. And it's like, wow. I have a feeling she's persistent with them. Oh, yeah. And that's how she was in life, too. <laughs> she got what she wanted. She was a feisty, feisty lady. So she used to work with Barbara Bush. She was part of the, you know, she was at the White House. I mean, she was, she was a big deal, you know, like she, as far as the psychic world went. I think it's fantastic that she's still looking out for you. I do too. I, I, it makes me feel very good to know that she's there. Yeah, most people probably don't have that kind of oversight. Well, it speaks a lot to their connection. Yep. That, that she's willing to, to come through repeatedly. I'm guessing to make sure you're steered in the right direction. Yeah. Is she momming you? Is that what she's doing? Is she momming you? No, not like so much like that, though, but she stirred me in this direction to begin with. You know what I mean? So she told me what was going to happen, and she told me a lot of things that were going to happen that are coming to fruition, you know? Like like even like meeting Nick and the friendship that I would build with him and, and just like... All the pop, you know, she just said, just keep going down this path. You haven't seen nothing yet, baby. You, it's going to be good, you know. And she just always kept saying stuff like that, you know, like, just follow your heart, you know, just follow your heart and everything's going to work out. You, you know what you need to do, you know. And she didn't even tell me what specifically I had to do, but she did, she did it on some specifics as far as like Nick goes, um, TV shows that I'd be on TV. I'm like, I'm not going to be on TV. Are you kidding me? I, I, there's no, there's no way. Why, why would I be on TV? And then boom, you know, America's most horrifying location, paranormal lockdown, you know, my paranormal, I mean, I've been on like five or six different TV mm-hmm. shows now and it's like, okay, so she was right, you know, and, and I didn't ever think I would be, you know, nor did I do. Why would they, people want to hear my stories, you know, over something else, but Hey, what, whatever, to eat their own, you know, you know why people would want to hear your story over somebody else's because it's a real story. It's not hyped up. You're not, you don't go out of your way to hype anything up. You are very down to earth from what I can tell and from what I've seen. You love your house, obviously. And I think the human interest part of this would make a really great documentary. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, perhaps. I've seen, I've seen a lot of places that have had documentaries. A couple of them are near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, but I think, I think this one would make a really good documentary if you ever wanted to go that route. That's just my two cents. I am not a professional. so <laughs> If it's meant to be, it'll happen, right? So, I mean, yeah. it's kind of the, the way I look at life, you know, like you can't, you know, you, you focus on things, but you just got to keep going and just continuously try to be a good person. And if something's meant to come your way, it'll come. And in the meantime, just keep doing, having fun and doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know? Now, if a team wanted to book your location, Mm -hmm. how would they go about doing that? Well, I mean, easiest way is to just kind of go to my website or hit me up on social media. I mean, I do have a calendar up on my website, danielclass.com, and then just click on the link for Hinsdale House. And then you can see if there's a date that looks good for you. And then just shoot me a message, shoot me an email and, uh, We'll get it, get it booked up for you. Okay. And how long in advance would they normally have to book? 
Well, I mean, I'm booking into October already. <laughs> oh, my God. For October in upstate year. New York? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the weekends book up quick. The weekends. If you can come during the week, you're, you're golden. But, I mean, I have most most of the weekends booked because you're you're bringing in people that want to run okay. events there, and then you're bringing in uh, teams from all over. So, I mean, <clears throat> not to mention we had a lot of cancellations last year. Yeah. And I'm not going to screw the people that made deposits. So I'm just like, let's just push you to a, pick a new date next year or when you feel comfortable coming. Because I didn't, you know, uh, you just had to be really understanding with people when this, uh, everything started hitting with COVID. You didn't want to hurt people's feelings or, or anything like that. So, you, you know, we just worked with those people and rescheduled them. So because of the reschedules, plus all the new bookings, it got booked up really fast this year. Getting booked up. We still have some open, so. I want to throw a cautionary note out there to folks who are listening who might want to book. Just remember that snow in upstate and western New York is not like snow pretty much anywhere else in this country. <laughs> no. It will start snowing in September and might stop in the beginning of May, and it's a lot of it. I learned lake effect snow when I lived up in Syracuse. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> it just means a lot more snow. <laughs> So be mindful of that um, when you're booking. <laughs> and we are. We are as well. If people do want to come in the winter time, you know, if there is, a, like there was, I had a group coming in on Friday and we had some Lake Effect band coming through. And it, and I said, well, if you don't feel safe, we can get you booked on a different day. And we booked them for a different day in the future. Um, you know, I'm not going to push people and to try to come in through on a blizzard. You know I mean? It's, right. It's, uh, it, you're right. It can be especially when you're in an open field and there's wind blowing, uh, the whiteout conditions. I mean, it can definitely get bad. But, I mean, here, you know, me living here, I mean, that's nothing for us. And we're getting our cars and driving four foot of snow and, and shorts in, well, yeah. in the winter here. So, I mean, that's not, no big deal for us. See, John, I'm not the only one who wears shorts in cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up, you did something that was that I loved when you were raising money for renovations on the house, and I think you're still doing it on your merch store, you were selling autographed pieces of the shingling and, and things like that. And we, we purchased one, which is awesome. I've got it in a shadow box getting ready to hang up on the wall. Cool. You guys did a really great job. Since we've had that piece of wood in our house, some strange things have been going <laughs> on. Uh-oh. Not not super big strange things, no, but little... I mean, my house already has some friends that share it with us, uh, but I think we have another friend that is sharing it with us. So if you are missing uh, a woman in her early 20s or so, we have her. Uh, also, somebody who likes to knock things off the table on a regular basis. So if you're missing anybody, let me know. <laughs> it could just be a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, we I, not that it matters, but I mean, we did have all the stuff blessed, you know, before we had them signed and um, sent them out. But I, I you know, who knows? I, I, I would hope that one of my energies is not left, but maybe they want to explore too, or maybe they're able to go back and forth. I mean, there's so many different possibilities. Um, you know, we get different energies at different times. So, and like I said, we already have some friends in the house, so. One of them could have just with the territory, you know. Yeah, um, wasn't a complaint. Just something that we laugh over here because you know we're weirdos like that. So, yeah. But do you still have do you still have pieces up for sale? Do you are you still doing that to raise funds? Yeah, I do. I have 
I have some up on my, um, it's actually up on Nick's website. Uh, I have it under, uh, he has some artifacts. So it's donnickgroff.com. And you can go right onto his website and buy them there if you want a piece. I also have one dial plate from a geo box that was used on Paranormal Lockdown that he signed and the gentleman that made the box signed it as well. So that's kind of cool piece of history, you know, just to have something like that. Yeah, that is neat. That is neat. Is mm-hmm. that is that also up on the site or is that something yeah, you're yeah, keeping? Yeah, there's one left. Oh, no, cool. That's, that's something that's up on the site that's for sale and... I am getting uh, pieces of Melbourne Manor. I'm getting some pieces from Wildwood Sanitarium that Nick's going to sign, and um, you can buy those artifacts. And I, I, it it kicked myself in the in the butt sometimes. Like when I first started doing the renovations of the house, I'm I have this giant pit fire going, burning all this old cedar and all this stuff, and now I'm like, man, that could have been a fundraiser. You know, I didn't even think about like people wanting to collect artifacts from haunted locations because that that's definitely a thing. People love collecting these pieces you know and uh, it's neat and i have i have i'm the same way now now i'm like if i have a job done at the house i'm like don't you throw anything out don't you throw anything out <laughs> yeah i'm like keep it all and um well some of the stuff that i have i'll use for the museum that we're building but uh yeah yeah i mean if i can share the wealth i, I do you know and spread the wealth so they are up for sale there on next page wait you're building a museum yeah yeah, I'm building a museum and um, like a barracks for the paranormal team because the house is the house is small. So mm-hmm. we're actually we build this this cabin. It's going to be called the base camp for teams, so they can actually use that. It's going to have closed circuit cameras that are going to be wired. Uh, the teams will have access to get the footage from all those cameras, which they do now. Actually, it's called ghost cams. At the location, we have six cameras set up, so when you start investigating, cameras are rolling. And at the end of the investigation, you get to retrieve all those hours of those ghost cams that I have set up at the house if you don't have your own DVR system. So while the teams are there, they can watch these cameras and then just kind of have a separate place to go when, like, say, two investigators maybe want to go do a session at the inside the house. So there's just to, to help with noise contamination. Yeah. So we're building that. That's part of the plan. And then um, some of the artifacts and some of the history. I just want to have everything at everybody's fingertips. So there'll be like a, a museum built as well. I'm part of the property where people can come in. Um, I let investigators utilize the the things that we have. So if you come into the house and you want to use like the chalice from the priest to try to reenact something or do something, you can do that. If you want to, if you have a question about the history or a name, you'll be able to go in and and look at the the history of the location and pull up the name and think it, see if, if something's correlating together. So, I mean, it's kind of like a, as a paranormal investigator, all the things that I would think would be amazing to have at a location, I just want to bring to fruition at this location. Because it's mine, and I can do it, if hopefully. That's one of the benefits of somebody who is a paranormal investigator building this type of thing or putting together this type of thing is because you know, as a paranormal investigator, what would be needed and what would you know what people would like to be able to use and how they would like to be able to do it. Yes. I do have one more thing I want to just announce, too. We are doing a giveaway. So if you go to Nick Groff Giveaway 2021, we are giving away an all-expenses-paid trip for the winner and the guest. It includes round-trip airfare, hotel and accommodations, dinner with Nick Groff and myself, and uh, you're going to get $750 spending cash, $500 for food, um, and a a one-on-one investigation with Nick at the Hinsdale House. You can go up and sign up for free. It's nickgroffgiveaway2021.com. What are the dates of the contest? 
They're on, running until July 4th. We've also started a site on Facebook called Nick Groff Explorers where people can come to. And it's it's been amazing since we started it where a lot of respect, a lot of mutual respect between teams and investigators in the community and fans alike where they're getting to work together and correlate together and show their evidence. And it's it's fun. It's, it's really fun. It sounds like it. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate you taking time with us today. I know your schedule is crazy. Oh, my gosh. It is. It's been very crazy. <laughs> You've actually been a lot of fun. I appreciate everything that you're doing with the Hinsdale House, and you're just doing it right. And I think more people can learn from you on this. Hopefully they do. All right. Thank you so much. All right. You have a good day, guys. You, you too. too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.